Um, this is interesting, this series, um, because I had planned a series called Respect, and I was very excited because I never preached on it. I never heard anybody preach a sermon on respect. And I was really excited about this series and had done some pre-preparation for it and uh, just couldn't believe everything I've seen in the Bible about respect and honor and all of that. And um, last uh, Monday night, uh, we've been working on, uh, for the last two and a half years, I've been working on, along with others, uh, including an attorney, working on our Constitution bylaws. I mean, that's really fun stuff, <laughs> to write Constitution. Um, and that's why, the reason it's taken two and a half years, because I, I don't stay with the task as well as I should. I keep getting distracted. I don't know why I get distracted from writing Constitution bylaw stuff. But I've read, I've read everybody else's constitutions. I've, I've bought a constitution kit from Ed Young out in Texas, his church. And so I am the authority on constitution bylaws in the church. <laughs> so um, uh, last two board of trustee meetings, I presented it. I rolled it out to them, and we went over it in, uh, in great detail. In fact, I think we met till 11.30 the other night going over the details. And um, at the end of it, you, you know Mike Seaver. Everybody knows Mike Seaver. Mike Seaver is such a great person in this church. and been here 33 years or 33, maybe 34 now. And uh, it's always, he just always has this, uh, this word of wisdom that he will come forth with. And, and of course, you can judge <laughs> after I get it whether it was wise or not. But um, he said at the end of our meeting on Monday night, he said, Pastor, you should make a sermon series out of this Constitution Bible. I never thought of that. And I went home and I thought, you know, that makes so much sense. If I would explain uh, things to the congregation in the context of the Word of God, which I don't want anything that's not from the Word of God, um, that, would be, that would be really great. And uh, that would be good for our church to... to um, uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to do something I've never done. 34 years of being your pastor, I've never taken what they call a sabbatical. And I've never taken more than two Sundays off at a time, and it, close together. And um, I feel like I'm at a stage of life and ministry where I need to do that. I need to take a little extra time away and really think through um, what God wants me to do in the church. And, 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 and the, you know, the rumors of my imminent retirement are false. I'm not, I don't have the plan to imminently retire. You know, like Mark Twain said, the uh, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, so, so no, I'm not, that's not happening, but I do need to think some things through. So I'm going to take a little time and start. That will be starting in March, in March and April, and we'll extend a little bit into May, I think. So I will be back. I, I mean, I'm not going to leave. The, I'm not going to be gone all the time. And I will, I will preach, I think, three times during that period of time. So I won't be gone entirely. And... Um, Anyway, um, I just I said this makes sense. I'm going to do this, and so, with, along with everything else this week, it, it's been it's been a, a grueling task to try to get this put together. And, but I just want <laughs> I do want to warn you: uh, the less time I have to prepare, the longer I preach, uh, because it's hard. It's hard to you know you know Hurston, This is true. It takes more time to preach a short sermon than it does a long sermon. It takes more preparation. So. Uh, no, I'm just, I, I think it'll be. I think we'll get done by two or three o'clock. I think it's no problem. 
Okay, let's go. The foundation of God's order in the church. Today I'm going to talk about vision and purpose at the church. Subtitle, Isn't She Beautiful? Titus chapter 1, verse 5, the reason I left you in Crete was that you, that, that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town I directed you. Now, I hope that all of you here today are learning what God's vision is for you personally. I hope you're learning what, that you have gifts, and those gifts are designed by God to make you useful to other human beings. And they're also designed by God to give you a sense of fulfillment and purpose and to give you a spark of the divine within yourself. I believe even people who don't believe in God and I believe people who don't even follow Christ have that spark of divine gift in them and we can sense it and we can even sense their anointing sometimes, I believe. However, however, having, having said that, God uh, also, you need to know, that he resides and he's expressed fully by a collection of individuals. Uh, for instance, did you know that God, when you say the word God, you are, you are speaking of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God has never been alone, ever. Eternity comes from a community. The Godhead, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the basis for all community because God is letting us know that even He is expressed in the three-in-one, the collective, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve. You want to see the image of God? You couldn't just look at Adam. You couldn't just look at Eve. You had to look at Adam and Eve because in the image of God created He them. So God's plan from the very beginning was to have people that bore his name, carried his glory, a collective, and, and, he, and, and people as, as a people who would remind the world of his existence. In the New Testament, God's people, in the Old Testament, they were called the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, God's people no longer had a geographical boundary, no longer had a, a mere racial identity, but they were the people of Nevertheless, the people of God. And, and we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are. I hope you're circling these, these at least in your mind. You were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. So, so in, in, intertwined within the salvation uh, idea is that you become a part of others. What is also abundantly clear is while the Old Testament had, a, had an order for God's people that came under the, the, the title of the nation of Israel, Within the nation of Israel, there was an order. There was an order of atoning sacrifices. There was an order of priestly service. There was an order of health and purity. There was an order, uh, order of civil harmony. There was an order of moral and ethical standards. There was an order of governance and authority. And God still, though he has a respect for the nations and a place for the nation, that's a different subject. You are called the church. Furthermore, God has an opinion and a plan for every church, and God wants every church to be in order. 
Revelation chapter 1, we see this. John on the Isle of Patmos, the final revelation from God. And John writes, John, your brother, uh, companions in suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, John speaking, I was in the spirit and I heard of me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. That, when I read that, it just boggled my mind. Oh, I, I can't get my brain around that even as I stand here. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, residing in his glory in heaven, is sitting up there thinking about seven specific churches in seven specific locations. And he had developed a profile of every single church and what, what was commendable about them and what was not commendable about them. It's amazing. So, you know, I, I was thinking about my own love affair with the church. And I was thinking, I wish I had a more dramatic story to tell about it all, how it all happened. I wish I had a more story that was full of mystical and amazing. And, you know, like, like I'm out mowing my lawn and I noticed that the hedge hedges are on fire. And I move closer, and a voice from the hedges says, Phil, go to Bethany. They're crying out. Or, or, uh, or uh, like, uh, the, the, like Aaron, you know, Aaron, when they chose Aaron, they put, I believe it was three staffs in the, temp- in the tabernacle, and the one that sprouted uh, uh, vegetation was, was, the, was the one who would be the high priest. So they put these people, and they go in the next morning, and Aaron's rod had budded. That didn't happen to me either. And, and, and then, and then or, or I was thinking, uh, maybe I could be like Gideon. Remember Gideon? Gideon put a, uh, basically a lamb's wool blanket on the ground, a fleece they called it. And he said, Lord, if I'm to go and fight this battle, when I wake up in the morning, the dew of heaven falls, let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And then and that story went on, but it's, irrele- it's, irrele- it's not that important to this message. I won't tell it. And, and then maybe like Apostle Paul, who's like I'm riding down the street on a motorcycle and a bright light from heaven causes, you know, so bright I go blind and I fall off the motorcycle and a voice from heaven says, you're, you're a fellow and I am Jesus. And those go visit a guy named Ananias who's going to give you your directions and so I find that they take me to Ananias and he cures my blindness and he fills me with the Holy Spirit and he tells me that God has called me to the Gentiles or whatever. No, none of that happened. Uh, I just remember 16 years old starting to travel with my brother and I, was, I would play the keyboard behind he and his wife and going to all these churches and I, I kept feeling I was just 16 years old, and I felt the church is not all it could be. I kept feeling that. as we go from church to church to church. And then uh, I remember one particular act. Yeah, I was a very spiritual boy. <laughs> uh, I, had, uh, I was at 17 years old in this church in Inglewood, Texas, near, South Texas, near, near Houston. And I remember going out of the church to pray one night. 
And I wasn't praying about the church. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the big C church. And I just started to just cry. I just started to cry. And the only words I could say were the church. And I, I, think, I think that's the moment when I went from being a critic of the church to I fell in love with the church. The first two things that are mentioned in our newly revised Constitution, Bible, as I'm going to read this to you, that we will be presenting in a few weeks is our vision purpose. Article 1 vision. The Bethany Community Church exists to honor Christ and practice and doctrine. Relate compassionately to humanity in light of the fact they are God's image bearers and invite everyone to repentance and faith in Christ. Our mission is to love, grow, serve. Everybody say love, grow, serve. Church, my goal is not to pronounce order in the church like a judge. But I want to be like that friend in junior high who would inform you, Susie has a crush on you. I want to be that person today. I want to tell you that God loves you. I want to tell you that he has a crush on you. I want to tell you how you're beautiful, why God thinks so, and why he would make a 17-year-old who didn't know how to come in out of the rain have a passion for you, the Church of Jesus Christ, and the local church. See, just below the surface of the Old Testament rituals, principles, and the prophecies is that the church would become God's centerpiece in his narrative, divine narrative that he's writing for us. And of course, the New Testament unapologetically calls us the bride of Christ. You can't get any more central than that. Isn't she, isn't she lovely? Isn't she? Uh, uh, Ellie told me the other day, I, I, she was off the house. She said, Pop, you're good at the piano, but you, you're not good at singing. She's, she's totally right, uh, at least about the second part. But I like that song, by the way. We, we, Stevie Wonder sings it much better than I do. So why are we so amazing? And what does that have to do with setting the church in order? Number one, we're the image of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with one unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We, not me, we are being transformed. We are becoming more like Christ. Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And if you read the previous verses, it's all about the ministry that the ministry that does that to the church, pastors, apostles, prophets, apostles, and evangelists. So, if we're in the image uh, of Christ, well, before I, before I say this, uh, let me quickly tell you about St. Patrick, if you don't know about St. Patrick already. St. Patrick did an incredible thing. St. Patrick lived from 385 A.D. to 461 A.D., and St. Patrick was in a time in history. Some, I know some of us think that this is the first time in history that the, the church has ever been in decline in the, in the public conversation. 
that the public con- that that the cultural conversation has ever been uh, as as hostile as it's become lately. But let me tell you, we've been there a lot of times. I know some of you think you're suffering for Jesus when you get canceled from and thrown off of Facebook. But I just tell you, there was a time they were feeding us to lions. Okay, so just 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 cool, just relax a little bit. Okay. Well, Saint, so St. Patrick was in a time when, when, when religion was, was declining in its influence and, and, and there have been many times in history when the church could not be public. The church, the church could not be effective on the streets. And that was one of those times. St. Patrick did an incredible thing. He went back to Ireland where he had actually been a slave. And he went back to Ireland from England, I believe. I believe it's England where he went from. He went back to Ireland and he created a community and many communities. And here is the, the feature of their community. It was not to go, to the, go preach in public places, but it was to create a community that people were invited into. And people who did not believe were invited into the community. People who were not Christ followers were invited into his community. In fact, they've come up with a term for it, and you can read books about it, called Celtic Evangelism. And so he developed a community of disciplined, beautiful followers of Jesus who were taught, we're going to bring the public into our community and let them live with us and experience us as we follow Christ. Isn't that cool? And it saved the church at that time. It saved the church. The the evangelism of St. Patrick, I know you think St. Patrick is just about wearing green one day of the week and has something to do with the Boston Celtics. But St. Patrick was a great saint of God who did something, who did something that the church needs to revisit this idea. This idea of becoming an attractional community. An attractional community that lives in its community with grace and power and holiness and love. And people come into this house or they meet you somewhere else. And because we are the collective of Christ, we are the community of Christ, and none of us have it all together, but together we have it all. And we bear the image of Christ together. They come here and and wherever they meet are an expression of this church. They meet Jesus. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? So don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry if we're not getting invited on all the networks and stuff. Because that's not the only way to do this. In fact, it's not even the best way to do it. Okay, let me get on. We are the image of Christ, so we must order our church around a few things. We must order our church around joyfulness. One of the greatest signs of spiritual maturity is joy. And the greatest attraction to Christianity is joy. Think about this. Pentecost. Christ followers were not being invited on CNN in the first century. I don't know if you knew that. Newsflash. Wasn't popular to follow. They, they just killed him. And what does he, Jesus launch the church with? God launches his church with a party called Pentecost. You know, I don't know much about inebriation, but <laughs> I know nothing about it, actually. I, I drank too much coffee one time. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but I, I understand that, that uh, high levels of inebriation has 
basically one of two impacts. Is uh, you are loud and boisterous, or you pass out. <laughs> right? I, I, I don't know. I, I, but I, I, just, I tell you one thing. The day of Pentecost, they weren't passed out. They were loud and boisterous. And they were joyful. They were praising God. They heard them praising God. Uh, Christ was anointed with the oil of gladness above his fellows. The reason a healthy place, church place, attracts kids is because people in that church aren't overly serious. You, you probably, some of you heard this story about, uh, I can't remember Don Gobin's little boy's name, I'm sorry. But Don's little boy, they, they came to this church. They, they were looking for a church and taking the family to church. And on the way to church, the little boy, he was six years old. I remember that. He said, Dad, I hope they have a bouncy house there. <laughs> and he said, they don't have a bouncy house. What are you talking about? And that was the day of the Happy Place Fun Fest. Aww. And they walk into the gym and there's a bouncy house. So uh, he told the children's church workers, he said, we're looking for a church. And so far, you guys are ahead. <laughs> we're the image of Christ. So we must order our church around kindness and hospitality and serving. You know, Jesus Christ was a serving and hospitality rock star. Do you know that? His first miracle was to provide drink for a wedding reception. He, he, he served lunch to 20,000 people with a staff of 12. The, 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 um, uh, he, he, he washed his disciples' feet, and Dr. Luke, one of his disciples, said uh, he went around doing good and healing that's the ministry of hospitality. You know what hospitality is, guys? This is really important if we're going to be the church that we're supposed to be. Hospitality is solving problems for people before they ask. You meet them on the parking lot with an umbrella when it's raining. You go get them a bottle of water before they even ask for one. You see the mother is struggling to get, or the father, so that matter, get out of the car with three or four kids, and you run and you help them. That's hospitality, and that's what expresses the image of Jesus, because that's what Jesus did. We're going about do, that, that's a pretty broad term. Went around doing good. That's pretty broad. I can put a lot. Of, I can put a lot of ideas into that bucket. He went around doing, what if you just start going around doing good instead of griping all the time? What if you just come to this house on Sunday morning and say, I want to go there and do good. And so I want to, I, I want to welcome people. I, I'm, I'm going to help Pastor Phil build, build, build the St. Patrick's Celtic community. I can get really excited about this because I love the church. I do. I really love the church. I'm not... I, 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 I'm, I don't love the church because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I love the church. Amen? So we must order our church around that. We, if we're the image of Christ, we must order our church around deep and committed love. You know what the BCC covenant says? It says this. I want you to know that I'm committed to you. 
You'll never knowingly suffer at my hands. I'll never say or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I'll always in every circumstance seek to help you and support you. If you're down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. If I have anything you need, I will share it with you no matter what I find out about you and no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change and there's nothing you can do about it. How? How do you do this? Here's how you do this. Because it can be overwhelming to think of, I've got to take care of everybody? No. Do for one what you'd like to do for everyone. So, we're the image of Christ. So we must order our church. Here's another thing. Around holiness and accountability. To have a community where it is forbidden to inquire about another person's whereabouts. Where were you last Sunday? You know, like that. Person's moral decisions, relational and emotional well-being, is comparable to a town or a community or a region without a hospital. Because you know what they do at hospitals and medical clinics all day? They evaluate people. And they tell them what's right about them and what's wrong about them. My doctor always goes, do you take any medication? No. What? You're 66 years old and you don't take any medication? You can't believe it. My, my, a, few, a while back, my doctor told me, you have the lowest cholesterol I've ever seen. So I, I like that. I like that guy. But that doctor also told me, another different doctor told me, as you all know, one day, you have cancer. I tell you what I did. I went out in my car and I banged on this. I hit the steering wheel. Oh, crap. That's exactly what I did. A good church sometimes gives you the bad news. And they give you the good news. All right? I got I to move quickly. We must order our church around evangelism and water baptism. What, all I mean by that is ultimately the church future of all churches are dependent on the birth rate. Birth rate. New birth rate. I, oh, transfer growth is one thing. People coming, you know, some, many of you are at a different church and now you're here and you're welcome here, by the way. And we're thankful for that type of growth. But if you want to get on board with my vision and the vision of this church, help me reach people who wouldn't go to church if we didn't reach them. That's our target audience. Every, every good marketing strategy must know its product and must know who they're trying to sell the product to. And yes, there, there are reasons people are in their, their churches and they need to go someplace else. And, and, and probably people don't know Jesus. But help me find the people who, have, who are far from God and bring them to God. Amen? Or, or you're, you're quiet, but it was some, sometimes quietness means uh, you're agree. Or sometimes it means this pastor. I've had people going, yeah, I said, you were quiet today. He said, it was just so deep. <laughs> just, uh, I'm not that deep. I'm just not clear sometimes. <laughs> so, finally, we want to order our church around cultural interpretation and cultural engagement. The church has no prophetic voice if it has no cult awareness of what's going on in the culture, no commentary about it, and no wisdom. I know it's I know it's a slippery place to go. And it's a scary place to go. And you've got to be careful. 
And we will sometimes be accused of being political when we're not trying to be. And sometimes I may go over the edge and do something that's a bit political. I'm going to try to stay away from that. But a church that only talks about Jesus and personal and eternal salvation is not a New Testament church. We're supposed to help people navigate the culture, no matter what the culture is, at any time in history. Because we are the church of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and I, I want to go down a trail there, but I'm going to stop because I know it's time. I have, a, I have another list of stuff that we must not order around, and we must not order around a political party alignment. We must not. We must not. I, I don't know if you, if you are aware of this, but when, when you get to the pearly gates, there's going to be no question asked about which party you were aligned with or whether you were a Republican or an Independent or a Progressive or a Conservative or a Democrat. I mean, there's going to be Republicans and Independents and Democrats and hypocrites in heaven, right? Now you're really quite there, so maybe I, maybe I just lost half of you. Number two, we are the hope of the world. A church that's properly ordered will be an island of sanity and sea of insanity. The Message Bible says in Ephesians 4.17... And God backs me up on this. I love Eugene Peterson. There will be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with really with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You learn Christ. You know, every once in a while, I go to a dark place because I realize more, it's, it, or it feels like, let me say it that way, it feels like the church and sometimes Christians are in a place right now where we're so powerless, so powerless. We're so far from the levers of power in culture and other places. And uh, in the past, this wasn't true. And maybe you're not aware of this. But in the past, culture has needed the church and, and Christians to move their agenda forward. This is so well illustrated. All, all the way back in 1929, when um, Harry Emerson Fosdick was pastoring in New York City, and uh, his uh, uh, John D. Rockefeller was attending his church, and he preached a sermon called, Will the Fundamentalist Win? And, uh, and a fundamentalist then was not what a fundamentalist is now. And I don't have time to get, explain that, but, but, but it's different. Uh, fundamentalists were, were, in their own right, in that day, more would be viewed more, I should say, as intellectuals. And you probably, when I use the word fundamentalist, it's some very wild uh, uh, person who didn't get out of elementary school, you know, or something like that. But uh, that wasn't true in 2029. And he preached that sermon, and, and Rockefeller had a, uh, an agenda that he wanted to push forward for the United States and the world. And he distributed, I think, over a million copies. That's in 1929, over a million copies of that sermon. And he built Harry Emerson Fosdick a new building. Uh, also, Peter Drucker was probably the, probably the most influential business leader in the 20th century 
uh, was Peter Drucker. And uh, Peter Drucker, uh, uh, every, every major Fortune 500 company uh, called in Peter Drucker to advise them. And, um, and uh, um, he, um, he, but Peter Drucker wasn't just wanting to teach business how to succeed. Peter Drucker wanted to improve the world. He wanted to improve society. He wanted to improve the world and everything. So, so he had three target audiences. He, 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 he wanted to, to influence business. Uh, he, he wanted to influence, um, um, uh, uh, what was the other group that I was trying to think of? Uh, the government, that's it. He wanted to preach business, the government, and, and the church. He felt, I need the church in order to do this. So actually, what, what most people don't know is that Peter Drucker was a, was the, was a primary mentor, and I'm not, I'm not giving an opinion on this. You can, you can form whatever opinions you want, and if you go on the, the new God, the Internet, if you go pray to the Internet, you will find all kinds of opinions about this. But he became a mentor to Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, and actually taught a course at Fuller Theological Seminary in California, even though he was an Eastern mystic and not a Christian. But uh, you, you have Peter Drucker to thank for a lot of the ideas of the megachurch movement, who taught these men how to build an audience. Was it bad? No, I, I think that I have a lot of, there's a lot of good things to say about the megachurch. People heard about Jesus who never would have heard about Jesus if the church had not changed its ways. So we, we practice many of the things. Inadvertently, I, do, I don't read Peter Drucker, but we practice inadvertently many of the things that Peter Drucker taught the church. Now, maybe some of them we need to unlearn and, and, and going forward, but that's another conversation. What My point is this. My point is he needed the church to... To, to go forward. And, 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 and many of you are too young to remember how important it was for political leaders to get a photo op with Billy Graham. I hear Pop, Dad back there. You remember those days? You better get a photo op with Billy Graham. You better bring Billy Graham to the, to the, to the Oval Office. You know, your pictures of Billy Graham and, and Cliff Barrows on the, on the lawn of the, in front of the White House praying. And, and, and Billy Graham was very outspoken about uh, the evil empire, Russia. It was a, it was, he wove that right into his sermons, you know. And uh, in fact, to some of you, many of you here today will know the name Jimmy Swaggart. Uh, Jimmy Swaggart, Time Magazine said at one point that Jimmy Swaggart was the most listened to voice in America. Government, governments were watched, our government was, was, was surveilling his messages to see what he would say because of the impact they knew he would have on the culture. Now, newsflash, we don't have that prominence anymore. We are not being asked to the table anymore by the great cultural leaders. There are exceptions to this. There are many exceptions to this. But overall, it's not, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Uh, interesting thing I've read this week. Anthony Lewandowski, the former head of Uber's self-driving program, filed paperwork for a nonprofit religious organization called The Way of the Future. 
The mission, here's his mission statement, to develop and promote the realization of a Godhead based on artificial intelligence. And through understanding and worship of the Godhead, contribute to the betterment of society. Many people believe AI is the new God. Artificial intelligence, machine learning. This, it's really coming out as like a freight train. Um, my, my brother, this is a few years ago, when his wife needed a new heart valve, the doctor asked him, do you want me to decide or do you want the computer to decide? And my brother said, let the computer decide. Now that is interesting. Remember a time when we would have said, let's pray about it. Now that doesn't mean he was evil or wrong to do that. Artificial intelligence and machine learning is going to do some amazing things. And it already is, but it's going to do some amazing things in terms of our lives and it's going to do a lot of good. And, and I'm not trying to scare you. I don't necessarily, I, I don't think, I don't perceive, uh, you know, the streets being jammed with female robots who are destroying all the men or something. <laughs> you know? I don't think, you know, that, I don't go there in my mind. That's not really my concern. I know that some of that's going to happen. China actually has a province where instead of a judge making a decision for, in criminal cases, a computer is deciding whether you're guilty or not guilty and sentencing you. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> Have you ever heard of a hacker? <laughs> but um, it's interesting, AI, and uh, I was thinking about this early this morning. I think, you know, it has all the attributes of God. It's, 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 I'm, I, I, I'm not present, meaning it's, it's everywhere. It's omniscient. It's all-knowing. And it's omnipotent. It's all-powerful. You, you know, uh, uh, the computer that plays chess, no, one, no human can beat it. In fact, it's making moves that they're saying, the, the, the chess experts are saying, no human ever even thought of these moves that this is making. And then, I don't know if you heard of the news this week, Tetris, so there's a machine that plays Tetris, and it scored such a high score that no one ever thought it was possible to score that high of a score. So that's the new standard for what everybody's trying to do. Um, this is a weird time, guys. This is, this is weird. The, the, but that's not the point. The point is not to weird you out. The point is this. The church is not really being invited to go on this journey. Somebody needs to talk about ethics and morality and those sort of things with this new technology. Uh, but the, 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 the great men of God and women of God, spiritual leaders, are not being invited into these conversations about what boundaries are we going to put on ourselves with machines that can replace humans. N not only in function, but also in thinking. Well, now that you're all scared, <laughs> are you terrified? Uh, here's, here's the good and the bad. The good was, uh, I'm talking about the past, is it was really fun to be invited to the party in culture. It was a lot of fun. I lived through it. I, I could tell you all of the events and things that I got to do and went through and people I met and all kinds of stuff. 
But the bad is, and I know Willow Creek and Bill Hybels and those guys, that's what they grappled with when they created that study that we did, that thing that we did called the Reveal Study. They realized they weren't producing strong self-feeding. That means people who can read the Bible for themselves and learn from the Scripture and study it for themselves. They weren't producing strong, self-feeding, robust, deeply committed Christians. But, church, fear not. Hate not. Welcome to Babylon. But don't get crazy. The Bible is still our playbook. Jesus is still Lord. People are going to be more spiritually hungry with this new wave and this. See, technology always takes people away from God. Always. When they invented the plow, people didn't have to pray as much about their crops when they had a plow. Technology always tends to take people away from God. But guess what's going to happen? They're going to get hungry for God. Because hunger for God is a function of the soul and a function of the spirit. And they ain't going to be able to find a computer to do that, to feed your soul the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. They don't have that in a robot. I'm telling you. Don't worry about the church. The Bible's still our playbook. Jesus is Lord. People are be, going to be more spiritually hungry, and the Holy Spirit is moving. This is the church's finest hour. We are more better positioned for victory when we are underdogs. Israelites, think about this for a minute, guys. Israelites saw their greatest miracles. You read the scripture, read the Old Testament. Their greatest miracles were in Egypt and Babylon. They saw more miracles in Egypt and Babylon where they were the oppressed underneath the boot of their oppressor. They were, they were controlled by their oppressor in Egypt and in Babylon. In fact, if you're going to tell your children Bible stories, you're going to tell them Bible stories most likely about Israel's, Israel's experience in Egypt and Babylon. You can tell the story of Moses. You can tell the story of the ten plagues. You can tell the story of the crossing of the Red Sea. You're going to tell the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You're going to tell the story of, of uh, the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo, and who wouldn't bow, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't burn. You, those are the stories. And do, do you realize those stories were always when God's people were on the bottom, not when they were on the top? I thought you'd be a little more excited. I know you're all introverts, I understand. So, <laughs> finally, I left out St. Benedict, but should I leave it out? I should leave it out, right? Go, go look it up. Go look up what St. Benedict did and how he was in the same situation in about four, 500 A.D. And he did the same thing Benedict did. He, he, left, he left Rome because you couldn't, push the gospel forward in Rome. You couldn't disciple anyone because, because it had gotten so corrupt as the Visigoths and Goths and all those terrible Norwegians, Dad, were coming in there. And the old order of Rome crumbled. And chaos took over. 
They didn't go from old order to beautiful order. They went from old order to complete spiritual and moral darkness and chaos. And it caused Benedict to leave Rome, go live in a cave for three years, which is probably what some of you feel like doing right now. <laughs> and, he's, and he built 14 communities that allowed, I'll just say, you can go research it, saved the world, literally saved the world. 14 communities where people were committed to following Jesus. That's what I'm trying to do at 15 Cape Road. I'm trying to build a community that wants to follow Jesus and love the world. And we're going to do it. <laughs> we are doing it, but we're going to go from push to shove. We're going to go from walking to running. Right? Finally, we're we are the living, holy Eucharist poured out before the world. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed, and God has placed in the church gifts. And he goes on to talk about those. It was so interesting, Marilyn. I love that story that Lisa told yesterday. She and your mom were doing a devotional on communion, and it actually explained this point. I guess it talked about, I don't, I don't know much about it, but, but they were talking about how we are the living Eucharist. We're the living communion. That is, we miss that. We must coalesce, here, here's what, listen to me. Listen fast, because I'm going to talk fast. We must coalesce as a community and accept in principle everything that happened to the physical body of Christ, including being mocked, but not excluding being raised. To sit together with Christ in heavenly places. And I'm not talking about after you die. Though that's, that, that, that's going to happen too. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 12. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when all things are, evil things are said about us. Yet we're treated like the world's garbage. Like everybody's trash. Right up to the present moment. But it's okay. We're the body, we're the image and body of Christ. We will always rise again. Okay. Christ's response to being dismissed by the socio-political machine was to redeem the world. And by his grace and power, and his by his grace and power, this body will do it too. So here's my conclusion. Stop dating the church and fall in love with her. You remember that little verse in, in some of you who are Bible readers and students, you know this verse. I've never preached on it. I've never heard anybody preach on it. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. I thought about that this morning. Kiss the son lest he be angry with you. That's a weird verse. You know, Let's think about this kingdom that I'm inviting you into. If you want to break into any influential power structure, you don't need to meet everybody in the, in, in the structure. You need to find out, you need to meet the influencer. You need to meet the power broker. You, you need to meet the one who has the key. And in, in almost every organization, there's somebody with a key. And you got to meet the person who has the key. 
win them over. And, they, and if they like you, they will open the door. This is a, every salesman knows this. Right? You got to get past the gatekeeper at the desk who doesn't want you to talk to the person with the key, who's told them, you keep people away from me. <laughs> you got to get around them some way, or you got to win the gatekeeper over so they will take you to the person with the key. That's what that verse is talking about. Revelation says he holds the key. Who's he? Who's he? If you have never made that decision, I'm going to invite you today to kiss up to Jesus. I'm going to invite you. Loving the church starts with loving Jesus. I would have never loved the church if I didn't love Jesus first because I would have never gone to that church to pray that night. It was because I loved Jesus that I found out what he loved. And I found out that he loved the church. So if you're here today, I want to pray a quick prayer. And if you've never crossed that line of faith and become a follower of Jesus and a lover of Jesus, let's start there. Don't worry about loving the church yet. Become a follower of Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I pray for every individual in this house right now. I pray for those who have been dating the church and need to love it. I pray for those who did love the church but they got hurt at a church. Maybe even this one. Heal their hearts and help them to come back and reconcile. And I pray for that person who's not made that first step. I want to pray for them right now. Father, I would pray this prayer in their, in their stead. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And Jesus, you are my Savior. So Father, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead to your right hand to offer the eternal sacrifice for my condition. And I now receive him as my personal Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, the um, it's interesting. A lot of the time I get his notes the day before and read through them, but this time I didn't, and it's interesting how God put it on my heart to read Psalm 84, that it's all about the house of God, and I, I didn't know what he was going to preach about, but it's very clear that that is what the Lord wants to say to Bethany Community Church and talk to us about falling in love with his house and making it our home and raising your kids to be at home in his house together as a family, amen? I'm going to pray for us and... and um, Let's stand across this room. God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for the word that you've given us today, Lord. And, and as your people today, there are some of us who we, we have not made your house our home. We have not made the church the, the core and the center, God, and we repent of that. And as your people today, we're asking you, how can, how can I make this my home in your house? Not about a church building, not about services, but about your people and what you are doing. We thank you so much, Lord, for, for everything you're doing in this community, and we want more. We want more of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.